You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected with our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge and our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you. I'm going to read our psalm today, which is Psalm 146. Go to Psalm 146. I'm going to read this psalm and then just pray. And uh, we'll just briefly take a look at it. Starting at verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner or the stranger, which we've looked at a few weeks ago. He upholds the widow and the fatherless or the orphan, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin or he frustrates their plan. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. God, we ask that the Holy Spirit now we fill our minds, we fill our hearts, that we would get a great, greater vision of who you are and your character and your heart, that we would respond in change, in conviction, in what's going on in our hearts. Lord, first and foremost, that you would bring hope to our soul, that we, we would have such a profound sense of contentment in spite of everything else that's going on, that our hope would be in you, So we pray for all these things in your great name. Amen. I love praise psalms because they were psalms that were meant to be repeated, congregationally sung, kind of similar to what we do in church now. I'm assuming looking around for all of you, maybe, uh, maybe not, but most of you probably, you didn't even need your lyric sheet as we sang, How Great Is Our God. It's something that was repeated It was congregationally sung, and that's what Psalm 146 was. It was just supposed to roll off of your tongue to bring encouragement to the people who were worshiping God. Praise psalms help us worship by illuminating a couple of things. The first thing praises illuminate is our current reality. In Psalm 146, you can see who this is written to. In verse 7, it's written to those who are oppressed, those who are hungry, those who are prisoner, those who are blind, those who are humiliated or bowed down, those who are strangers, those who are widows and orphans, and even as a chastisement to those who are wicked. This psalm is written 
to the very stark realities that existed in that day and still in our day today. You know that, you know that prayer we sometimes, I think I've prayed it many times myself before a service. We say, God, help us take away everything that is in my life right now or like help me not to focus on the grim realities of my life right now so that I can actually worship you. I've always been questioned that because I've, how do you do that? I struggle with anxiety from time to time and my mind just spins constantly. How do I forget the grim realities that I'm facing right now so that I can worship God? It's almost like God, it's almost like worship is this thing that, it's, that causes us to uh, be distracted from the darkness in our life. But that's not what praise psalms are for. It actually illuminates our current reality that we're in. And instead of being a distraction from them, it helps us process the darkness in our life and in our world. Because not only does it illuminate the current reality, it also illuminates God himself. In this passage, it says, God is the one who sets prisoners free. He's the one who made heaven and earth. He keeps faith forever. He executes justice for those who are oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He's the one who opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down or or filled with shame. He loves the righteous. He watches over the stranger or protects the stranger. He upholds the widow and the orphan. He's the one who frustrates the wicked. So we, we, we get this greater picture of God as well. And boy, do we need this often in our lives. Because all week, our minds and our hearts are filled with a flood of opinion on current situations in our world. And then opinions on those opinions. And then opinions on those opinions that were opinions on those opinions. Like it just never ending cycle. My YouTube channel, I just noticed this this week, where my homepage it's filled with a whole bunch of political analysts and opinions. I'm like, I don't even know where this came from. I watch hiking videos on YouTube. That's how I use my YouTube channel. It's like an escape to see someone hike like Mount Everest. That's what I, that's what I watch on YouTube. Apparently, a lot of people are watching it. Not the hiking stuff, the opinions of the world. And what I find is, though, as we fill our hearts and our minds with so many different analysts and opinions of, of, of people in the world, it becomes very disorienting. It's like, I don't know what to think, right? How do you even have, like, how do you move forward? There's so much darkness. There's so much confusion. I don't know what to think. It's like if you've ever, um, those of you who have ever tried to surf or done body surfing at the ocean, which I have attempted to surf. I wasn't bad at it, actually. But it becomes disorienting because you can get caught in a large wave. Those of you who have tried surfing or body surfing or in the ocean, you've, you've, you've been caught by a large wave and you're head over heels. You don't know which way is up. You don't know where the surface is. You don't know where the ground is. And then you don't know where deeper in the ocean is. You don't know where the shore is. Because as soon as you get your vision, you, you, you're like, oh, this is where it is. Another wave knocks you down again. 
And there was a scary time when I thought, well, you start to panic because you don't, it's so disorienting. You don't know right from wrong. You don't know up what is down. You don't know what's dangerous and what's not. And I find all week long, we're filled with so much analytics and opinions and it becomes so disorienting. There are so many people struggling with their faith because they're like, I don't know what to think anymore. But I love Psalms of Praise. Because you look and repeatedly at back to Psalm 146 and you say, oh, this is God. Regardless of everything else that is happening, regardless of what anyone else thinks, this is God. He's the one who made heaven and earth. He's the one who keeps faith forever. He is the one who executes justice. He's the one who gives food to the hungry. This is God. And therefore, we can respond in praise. Verse 2, as this psalm begins, it says, Praise the Lord. Verse 1, Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. That doesn't mean I'm just going to attend as many worship conferences I can possibly attend so that I can fill my life with experiences of worship. The point of what he's saying is this is what we were created for, is to bring praise to God in every element of my life. This is why I'm here. While I have my being, while the breath that God has given me fills my lungs, this is what I do. You see what praise is? It's a reorientation from all the other disorientation that may go on in your life. It's a reorientation of who God really is, who I actually am, and why I'm here. We need this all the time. That's why you might be thinking, man, are we singing how great is our God again? Yeah, because I need to be reminded how great God is all the time. Specifically in Psalm 146, this is a really important psalm, and I can't, it's, it's hot and humid, so I'm just going to be really quick. I think it's an important psalm because it addresses fundamentally what all of us, I, I think, are wrestling with, which is this question. How do you process darkness? How do you process the darkness and injustice that may exist against you, that may have been done against you? or that exists in our world, how do you process that darkness without your own heart becoming dark? How do you process injustice, especially injustice that's been been committed against you without becoming unjust yourself? Without becoming angry, cynical, or worse, unjust yourself. Like if any of you knows the history of the French Revolution, there were years of injustice against, it was an economic injustice against the aristocrats, I almost said the aristocrats because that's one of my kids' favorite movies, the aristocrats versus the normal people. Finally, that was flipped, and there was great injustice in anger. How do you process 
darkness without your own heart becoming dark. The simple idea of the psalm in verse 3 and 4 says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. The simple idea of the psalm, firstly, is is there's a warning of misplaced trust in those, as it describes in the psalm, those who are princes or those who seemingly have influence, who can bring salvation to your life. You think, oh, they have power, they have influence, they can bring me what I've always wanted. They can bring change to my heart, they can bring me joy, they can bring me peace. That might be very personal, like a spouse or your children, or it might be just, or it might be a political figure. Finally, they are going to give me the power and privilege I've always wanted. Could be a pastor. A church, someone who has influence, finally it's going to bring me all my heart wants. And there's a warning of this misplaced trust. And if we're not careful, we can actually make them not just influential, but gods who walk among us. From Pastors like what came out a number of months ago from like Ravi Zacharias to many in the evangelical evangelical world was a God who walked among us. To the church, to political figures who promise protection, to a spouse that promises ultimate joy, everything that you've always wanted. You think they can bring me salvation, the joy and life my heart has always been looking for. The point of this passage is is when his breath departs, he returns to the earth on that very day his plans perish. They're all just humans, just like you and I. They're all just humans that are prone to fail, prone to fall, and prone to even be evil. But nothing, the point is this, nothing fills your heart with hopelessness and cynicism than trust that was broken. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Like you put your eggs in someone's basket and that trust is broken, nothing fills your heart with hopelessness and cynicism than trust that was broken. How do you, how do you trust again? How do you trust your spouse? How do you trust a church? And what a lot of people are wrestling with right now, guys, how do you trust a faith when, when you look back in historical record, when powerful, influential systems of that faith did horrible things, how do you trust that? When over a thousand children are found in unmarked graves, which maybe never find out what actually happened specifically to those children. But the fact that they were given no dignity, no honor, and no record is evil. How do you trust a church after that? And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people who would have called themselves Christians who no longer call themselves Christians because of this. Trust has been broken. 
it becomes disorienting. What seems to almost make it worse in our day is that there's constant reflection as you go through Instagram stories and Facebook news, news feeds and there's constant reflection without proper perspective and no wonder, man, no wonder there's such existential despair that exists. Like, where is the hope? In contrast in this passage in verse five, which is the key verse in the passage, it says this, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. That's our encouragement from this psalm. Blessed is he, and that word blessed can also be translated simply, happy is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. That in the midst of everything that is going on, there is some sort of profound peace. Not in ignorance of reality, but staring reality straight in the face. There is a profound sense of happiness when one's hope is placed in God. The point of this psalm is that our happiness comes from our hopefulness. When we think of, for you, if you're struggling, like you've been all year, you're like, man, I'm just, I have, I've just been filled with such anxiety or filled with darkness and cynicism. It's because we don't have any hope. Or you think, you know, the church in general is filled with, and I've seen this, man, a lot of miserable people. Because I think they're reflecting on their fear of the world rather than their hope in God. And they're just miserable. But our happiness comes from our hopefulness. I'm going to open it up. Those of you who are online, you can think about this. Where have you seen that to be true maybe in your life or someone you know? That someone had such a profound hopefulness that even staring harsh reality in the face, they were still filled with peace and joy. Where have you seen that? Think about it online. I want you guys to shout out, where have you seen that to be true? I hope someone has seen that to be true or we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. 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 I love that. 
It's harsh reality, right? Harsh circumstances, but hope in God. Anyone else? By the way, there's a couple things I learned when you're sitting out here in this. It's really hot when you're sitting in the sun, and a lot of people driving by need new mufflers. Yes, anyone else? I'll repeat it if they can't. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Someone like, again, harsh reality, right? Circumstances tend to not change, right? Um, But the perspective certainly does. Anyone else? I got one that is really clear in my head. Um, My sister-in-law went through a really hard divorce. Uh, Her husband left her went, ran off with somebody else. And that was hard. Really hard. But what was most inspiring about the whole thing was uh, she had such a, and when we say happy and blessed, we're not saying like you're smiling all the time and everything's great. But there was such a profound sense of peace and contentment that got her through that whole event. Her hope wasn't even ultimately in that marriage. It was in her God because that marriage was not restored. And yet she's doing well. You know, there's still hurt. There's still darkness. But her hope was in God. Our happiness comes from our hopefulness. Guys, if we have misplaced hope or no hope at all because trust has been broken. We tend to be filled with darkness ourselves and can even lash out in injustice ourselves. Because specifically in this passage, and I don't have much time, and we're going we're gonna to end things off here, off here. Specifically in this passage, as you go through five to nine, there's this great reversal that the Lord sets the prisoner free. He gives food to the hungry. He executes justice for the oppressed. All of these examples, it's specifically hope in the justice of God. That something is wrong and needs to be made right. There's specific hope in the justice of God. I have to go into this. Just, just bear with me for a couple minutes. Because it's really important to understand because there's a lot of talk in our world about justice. Man, I see it everywhere. Like now, like 
political analysts are talking about critical race theory everywhere, and I can't get into detail about that, but I'd love to have a further conversation about you know, how we handle those things, which tend to be frustratingly polarized no matter what you do. And there's no room for nuance. Um, specifically, this passage talks about hope in the justice of God. Justice comes from another important word called righteousness, which is a standard of what is right and wrong that has to be upheld. It's what we were created with when we were created in the image of God. We were created with the righteousness of God imprinted on our hearts. Without a standard of what is right and wrong, there is no justice at all. What are you actually making? There's, there is no wrong to be made right. So without a standard of righteousness, there is no justice, but that is what we are created with in the image of God. It's what makes us human. In my backyard the other day, like I'm sure you guys were, you were observing all the birds that were flying around in your backyard. Yeah, of course you were. With, on the bird feeders. Yes, naturally. And I noticed something that, I like cardinals. We have cardinals in our backyard all the time. I notice this is the time of year when the baby birds are growing up and they're still following mom and dad around, begging to be fed still. They're kind of in that stage, like, like a teenager who's, who's still kind of acting like a little kid and you want them to grow up faster. That's where baby birds are in that stage of life right now. And I noticed that this male cardinal was... There's two baby birds with, with the cardinal, and he, they were, like, squawking at it to be fed, right? And I noticed that those baby birds were actually larger than the adult cardinal was. And I knew exactly what it was, like you all do, since you all have some awareness of the birding world. Those baby birds were, in fact, not cardinals. This is a little factoid. They're cowbirds. Cowbirds, by definition, are called parasites. What cowbirds do is when the mom is ready to lay a, an egg, they will find a different species of bird in their nest. They don't build any nests themselves. They will find a different species of bird, like a cardinal. When the mom and dad fly away to get food, they will actually come, knock a few of the cardinal eggs out of the nest, and lay their own eggs in the cardinal nest so that mom and dad cardinal are the ones raising cowbird young. Crazy, eh? So they're actually, by definition, parasites. It's not adoption because birds really aren't smart enough to know, so they just raise whatever's in their nest. And what the cowbirds do is they're much bigger than baby cardinals, so they actually kill the other birds that are in the nest. And so mom and dad think they're raising their own kids, but they're actually raising the next generation of cowbirds. Wild stuff, riveting stuff. <laughs> I'm so excited. No one else cares, but I'm so excited about this. It's riveting stuff. The point was, I'm standing looking through the window with a sense of injustice in my heart. I'm like, this is not fair. It's like those, I'm, start, like, I'm thinking about throwing rocks at these baby cowbirds. This is not fair. This is wrong. Because I'm a human. I was created in the image. You see where I'm going here. That was a long story to, to ignite your senses about the birding world, really. But I'm a human. I have a sense of justice. It's what makes me human. It's because I was created in the image of God. The animal world has no 
sense of justice. My point is this, without a sense of justice, there's very little that separates us from animals other than biology. Like that's what actually makes us human in the image of God. So when atrocities happen in our past, like what happened in those residential schools, there's this sense of justice that actually comes from our created image of God. Of course, sin corrupted that image in two ways. In, if I could put it this way, in sin, which is the systems of this world, but also in sins, the sins that you and I are responsible for that you commit, that I commit. But God's righteousness was not corrupted. This is important because sometimes maybe in our reformed circles, we tend to define ourselves by our depravity first. Oh, we're all sinners. While that may be true, we're actually first and foremost defined by the righteousness of God, not by our depravity. Because guys, this is important. Sin is an excuse. You can't just say, well, that's my sin nature. We're sinful people. Well, it's not supposed to be that way. Sin is an excuse. It's very clear from the Bible. It's our responsibility. And it's that sense of justice when we see something and it know, we know it's wrong and it needs to be made right. It's a responsibility that God has created us with. Ultimately, that hope in justice that exists in this world is concluded at the end in verse 10. Rather than those who are just human, in verse 10 it says, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. There's this amazing praise at the end because there's a hopefulness that despite the reality that we see in our world and in your life, that God's justice will win for eternity. That it can be experienced to a degree here in Restoration Church, but ultimately it's our hope that God's justice will win. There was a man who lived that righteousness out in his life perfectly. He was unjustly arrested, beaten, given no justice at his trial. And as an innocent, died a criminal's death. And if we, if that happened today and we're scrolling through a phone, we'd be like, where's the hope in this situation? Where do, what do you do? How do you process this? How do you trust the legal system? How do you trust the, the people that abuse and kill? But by Jesus' resurrection, it was an act that darkness and injustice will never win. And there is hope for us. If you're struggling here today and you think, man, my heart has just been so full of darkness and cynicism, and hopelessness. I'd invite you after this because we're going to end here. I'm just going to close in prayer. 
I'd invite you after this, turn, turn to the person beside you and just tell them that. Or come to me, I'd tell me, I'd love to pray with you and encourage one another that our hope is in God. It's the only way to have any profound sense of peace with the intense darkness that exists in this world. God, thank you so much that you are so good. You are the one who restores the intention of this world. We are not doomed. There is much hope. God, I pray that as a church, as we encourage one another, we would also be a a light into our world that isn't filled with anger and bitterness and fear, but is filled with hope. We love you, God. We pray for all these things in your great name. Amen.